One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Invest You're listening to Invest Podden with Ronja and Ted. And today we have Karin Volo. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, we're super excited to have uh, you here. Really excited. Thank you so much for coming. You're an author, speaker, investor, blogger for Huffington Post, founder of several companies, and you have an extraordinary story. Uh, and you've written a book about your story. So you lived in Sweden, but you were at a business trip, and somehow you were there with your husband, Sergio, and you were in the States in San Diego, and all of a sudden you were arrested at the airport. And then they kept you in a high security facility for 1,352 days. That's almost four years, right? Yeah. That's insane. It is insane. <laughs> and it's because your former husband, your ex-husband, was a con man? Professional con man, yep. That's insane. Okay, so... That's totally... It's even possible. <laughs> it's just crazy. Well, it has been a crazy story. So um, you guys were married, and you lived in the States at the time with him, or in Mexico with him, uh, your ex-husband. The first husband, yeah. Yes, and you guys had kids and everything, but then he moved to Sweden, a new husband, but still you got involved in his business. How well, did that happen? Um, he had used my name on documents down in uh, Mexico when we lived there. And I basically ended up moving to Sweden when he got convicted of fraud. And he had told me all along that he has never done any of this. He's totally innocent, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I was in Sweden, I am half Swedish. So I came to live with my mom with my two little kids and started researching him and realized after talking to attorneys and his parents and ex-wives that everything he had told me was complete lies. So I had to rebuild my entire life here in Sweden when I did. And it was, you know, I basically, I thought that was my whole huge life crisis at that point. My daughters were quite young when I moved here. And then I met Sergio a couple of years later. And then I told him, I said, I'm never getting married again. I'm allergic to marriage, but I'll be in a relationship with you. (laughs) So that's what it was. So we actually weren't married when this happened. Um, That's in the story of my book, but we actually got married while I was sitting behind jail in, in this in this high security facility um, but basically you know we were on a business trip life was as fantastic as it could possibly be and within seconds it just changed completely 180 degrees and so it took me down a totally different path that I never knew I would be on or you know how to survive in that type of an environment and not knowing what was going to be happening living with that uncertainty and fear and um, just all the you know emotions that you can possibly imagine anger because it and, took a while before they even told you why you were there yeah I mean basically I I mean, I knew it was about my ex-husband and I knew that I was in deep shit, basically. Sorry about that. But, um, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, you know, it just took a while to, to figure out everything and then it took a long time for it to basically get to the right people to look at it. And when they looked at the charges, the judge in Mexico basically said this shouldn't have even been a criminal case. Closed the case out. It took several months, or not months, weeks for that to get back up to the U.S. before I was finally released. 
But that whole time, that 1,352 days that I sat in this high-security jail, I basically was reading any book I could get my hands on, um, trying to escape mentally through the books that I was reading. I learned a huge amount um, and, you know, practiced a lot of different things to try and stay in a positive frame of mind and how could I feel good because I knew I had to keep this vision of my charges are dropped, I'm going home, I'm going to go back to my young kids because they were six and eight when it started and, uh, you know, go back to my life. And in the end, that's exactly what ended up happening. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term mental training. It's visualization. I was doing that, like, I don't know, five, six times every day. Like, and every time the fear would take over, I would focus in on the the love of my family and and just that vision of me going home. And that's what ended up happening in the end. But the question, did you do that on your own? I mean, did you have someone you were sort of training with to be, you know, mental training? Or can people do that on their own? People can do it on their own if they are willing to learn. Um, I did have the good fortune of, um, I don't know if you guys would know John Asaraf. He was my business mentor. If you've seen the movie The Secret, he's the guy with the house um, that he moved in that was on his vision boards, right? So I had had some of this understanding and training so going in. Hmm. Um, I got really good at it while I was there. Um, you know, I didn't meditate before, but I learned to meditate. And if you can learn to meditate in jail, you can learn to meditate anywhere, basically. Um you know, I was just starting to do a little yoga, and then when I was there, I really got into yoga. So I just started to do whatever I could to try and cope. And then on a all of a sudden, basis. you had followers at, at, in jail. Yeah, it just took a couple of days, and then people said, "What are you doing? Can I follow you?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." So they started following my little routine, and I was making it up as I went along. And, and basically, I ended up becoming the yoga teacher while I was there. So you created created a female network. Oh, basically, I'm not. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> not not that far. No, um, it's not a really pleasant environment, and you're really raw when you're there. And mm. you just, you know, I mean, everyone is in fear, and everyone is living with so much uncertainty. So you do get to know people fairly well in a very short amount of time, but it's not like you stay connected to them afterwards. You're not Facebook friends today. No, no. Okay. <laughs> um, so as you said, you you were able to stay positive even though everything was just you, you were basically in hell. Yeah. So that means that any situation that will that you'll meet now, you you're, you'll be fine. Basically, I have pretty good coping skills. <laughs> I, I would say I'm pretty good at that. Uh, you know, became an expert. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that you would have been able to stay that positive if you didn't have a family in Sweden? That's what kept me going. So that's a really good question. I mean, probably it, probably not. I know that if I had fallen into the fear, the the negativity, that things probably could have been way worse for me. I don't know. I mean, it just wouldn't have been able to manage. Um, if I had known going in that it was going to take four years, I don't think that I would have been able to manage either. You know, but it was just taking one day at a time, day after day, just exercising and practicing all these different things that I was learning to stay very positive. But when you say that you you don't know if you would have been able to cope, what do you think would have happened? What would have been the option? I have no idea. I, I don't know. Hard to answer that, you know? I mean, I chose to... I guess mentally get strong and try and stay focused on this vision and I I do believe in the power of visualization and and that we can create our lives through what we think and what we say so to try and stay very positive when it's a you know really negative environment is really challenging Um, but it's not impossible because one of the strong visions that you used was leaving jail yeah yeah. I was walking out those doors carrying my box of books your box of books exactly (laughs) Uh, so um and, and and as you said, that came true. You 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 went out and you had your 
box of books uh, well books in your box so <laughs> um, how do you, do you so, so now with uh, all I mean you have a lot of um, companies and, and stuff going on uh, do you still visualize that you don't say strongly it's not a word but um, is it as strong do you need to visualize as much now when life is good um Probably not. I mean, basically, it was kind of interesting. And, and, you know, oftentimes people just want to focus in on that particular part of my story. But coming back from that was challenging as well. And to do what I do today in that journey, I think is just as inspiring as being able to survive that type of an environment. Um, and it's been mental, or not mental, um, it's been conscious choices that I have made that I am not going to focus in on anger or revenge or, you know, um, Nelson Mandela was a big inspiration basically just you come Mm. out and if you hold on to resentment it's like poisoning yourself and I realized that and I said I'm not going to do that I after being in such a dark negative environment for so many years I thought I just want to be with working with inspirational things inspire others I want to be in really positive energy basically so that's what I focused in on how how do you I'm just thinking you came out of that I can I can sort of grasp not understand because I haven't been there of course but I can grasp sort of you want to get out you have a strong vision where to go but now coming back to a regular life how do you keep going that you know curve to continue how do you continue that without saying okay I survived that's fine you know I'm, I'm back I'm okay so I can tell you, the first year I couldn't even talk to anybody without Ooh. crying about this. I was in therapy for two years, okay? And I needed it. The second year, I could start to tell a little bit about what happened to me, but I found it easier to talk to people who didn't know me. Yeah. It took three years before I started meeting the people who knew me professionally here. Because That's so difficult to understand when I meet you here now today. <laughs> I know. And and when I was meeting people, I just kind of disappeared. I was, you know, I had a really good business before and I had an excellent network. And then I just disappeared and people didn't know. I mean, I've had people tell me, oh, we thought you were down in Australia, you found a new man or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, no, not quite. Not Australia. Um, no, exactly. Um, so people were really shocked. Mm-hmm. But I met with a lot of the people I knew professionally one-on-one and just kind of told them and they were just wow and I knew I was at that point I had been writing my book and working on that and and it just those the people I knew professionally were the last people I could talk to <laughs> because how do you explain this type of a situation right um so then I mean it's it's been a long journey coming back and I don't I don't know that people really realize that I don't have that much of an opportunity to talk about that. That's so much, actually. So, please tell us about the journey. <laughs> well, when I came home, um, like I said, the first year I couldn't talk to anybody. I was just with family and just really immersing myself in, in, in working on that. And I did actually work on the first draft of my personal story. That was, I think, a bit of therapy for me, just to get it down on paper and get it out. Um, and basically, you know, coming back, I knew that I was not, to go back to the headhunting. So that was my business before. I was an executive headhunter and had a really good business. That was why we were in the States. We were ready to expand our business and working with John Asraf, who was our Mm. business mentor. Um, But I just had this gut feeling inside, deep down, that no, I need to teach what I've learned and I also knew I'm supposed to take it into the corporate world and I had no freaking idea how in the heck am I going to do that? <laughs> and I just, I didn't know. And uh, one thing led to another and, um, you know, Sergio and I were starting to look at companies. Now, this was back in 2012, I would say. The companies started landing on our radar like, gosh, they're doing really well. Business was tough. Everyone was laying people off. It was really difficult times in the business world. But there were certain companies that their employees loved them, their customers loved them, they were expanding and it was like, like they're doing things differently. So we just started talking to them and uh, ended up doing a lot of research. And it's kind of interesting because during those four years, which was 2006 to 2010, we did a lot of things. 
personally myself, but also as a family, to try and cope through this. And one of the things, for example, was just every night before you go to bed, think of three things that you're grateful for. Very simple little thing. But it puts you in a positive frame of mind to sleep, and basically Sergio would do that with the kids, and I would do it myself, right? And no matter where you are, no matter what challenges or difficulties you're going through, you can always find something to be grateful for. You're, you're, you can see, you're awake, you can breathe, right? If you're alive, you have something to be grateful for. And so we focused in on a lot of those things, and those were some of the tools that helped us to stay very positive. So we ended up in our research, coming across positive psychology, and I'd never heard of that before. It would, I would have been, it would have, it would have been helpful for me to have researched that while I was in jail too, but I didn't. And uh, so when we came across that, it was like all of a sudden we had a decade of research that shows some of the things that we knew on a personal level through our family. This stuff works, but I wasn't about to go into the business world and say, "Hey, work on gratitude." I know it works. I did this for four years, but now I had research that says, "Yeah, you know, happier employees feel better. They're more productive. You get a better business if you have happier employees, and this is what you need to do." So the research for positive psychology was almost that catalyst that just said, we need to write a book. So we ended up writing a book, and it was called Engage. And uh, so that book came out in end of 2013 and in Swedish 2014. Didn't you ever feel like, F this, I'm just going to take my family, move to an island, tropical island, and just eat fresh fruit and just like stay out of, stay away Enjoy. from all society? <laughs> um, didn't you ever feel that? Did you just wanted to escape everything? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, And why didn't you? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you've got life, you've got kids, they're in school. You can't just pull them and, and disappear, right? And um, I think part of it was that I did discover a bigger purpose of I'm supposed to teach what I've learned. I'm supposed to take this into the business world. I'm supposed to impact people in a very positive way. The, another thing that I've come across is research for what's called the hero's journey. I don't know if you're familiar with that with Joseph Campbell. Um, Joseph Campbell is someone who had researched all the different societies ancient societies and, and basically found that every single society modern and ancient have a a theme through it and it's there's 12 steps I'm not going to go into the whole thing but basically it's somebody who you know is, is a, a flawed individual and has to get pulled into some trials and tribulations finds a way to overcome them comes back and just feels like they want to serve and help others that's a really condensed version of it um and my, my story is the hero's journey. Star Wars is the hero's journey. When this book came out, which was in the 70s, I believe, um, all screenplays now for all movies have to have this foundational structure of the hero's journey because it resonates with everybody. As human beings, we have this um, hero's journey ourselves. So everybody goes through trials and tribulations in their own life in some way. And it's how you can overcome them. It's what That's what makes you know these stories so inspiring and fantastic. Because if you can find the way to overcome your challenges, then, then you can basically help others along the way. But having said that, it's also easy to say, and I know from my own experience, that being positive and trying to help other people be positive, sometimes they just look at you and they're like, you're a crazy person, you know, where do you come from? And even if you have a story like yours, people had your story, maybe not exactly your story, but challenges or a hero story, and they chose a different path. How do you help people who don't know it's possible? Or how do you help people who just don't think it's good to be positive? Just by telling my story, I help a lot of people because I hear that all the time. You do? People yeah. come to me all the time and say, you know, I haven't gone through something like that, but I'm going through this. And just by, and I have people tell me, you know, whenever I'm going through challenges, I just remember your story and then I think I can get through this. So for me, just telling the story and coming out with it, um, 
I mean, part of it has been uh, probably a bit of therapy for me because I can now talk about this without breaking down in tears, which I couldn't the first year. But um, I think it's just... Tony Robbins said something that just hit home so much to me. And he basically said, if you can find a bigger purpose of some trauma or something that you've gone through, that's how you're going to heal. And that's really, that to me is what drives me. It's because... um, I don't want those years to be totally wasted. And I know that now with all the things that I learned, if I can help people feel better at work, um, reach their full potential and, and basically figure out, you know, how can they be engaged at work, then we can really make a huge difference in the world. But then why aren't people already engaged and happy at work? What's the problem? Oh, that's a really good yeah, question. You good said question. you said with a big smile, so yeah. Yeah, um, you know, part of the research with writing engage was, um, you know, Gallup does a global study every four years or so, something like that, and uh, basically they have found that thirteen percent of the workforce is engaged. And if we're talking Sweden, what surprised me is that it's only sixteen percent that 16%? are engaged. Sixteen percent. That's like nothing. No, I know. It's really bad. So when we wrote Engage, it was based on the U.S. book, and it was 30%, and I thought that was horrible. And then after the book went to print, the, the global study came out, and it was like, wow, only 13% are engaged. And most Western European countries are between um, 15 to 20%. Denmark, I think, is 20 or 21% engaged. So, yeah, what's going on in Western Europe? Why, are the, why aren't these people more engaged? And I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. Part of it is that our system, you know, we have a lot of things taken care of, because the Nordics, for everything else, rates really high. It's like the happiest country and the best quality of life and all these different studies, Innovation, right? Innovation and everything, yeah. Yeah, we rate really high there, but we're not high on engagement. And I think part of that is, specifically even for Sweden, is that there's not this bigger purpose. People are missing their meaning. And I can tell you for years of interviewing people and helping people with career transitions that they follow this path of, okay, you go to school, you get the job, you you know, you know, start your company, whatever, you do this, and you, know, you meet them in their mid-40s, 50s, and they're miserable and they don't know why. I think I think that, you know, when you're a kid, people ask you, what do you want to do when you grow up and you want to become, I don't know, magician? You can do anything. And everybody says, oh, that's cute. Do that. And then when you're a teenager, they said, okay, so this is what you should do. This is what you're going to do. Mm. People stop asking, what do you want to do? Yeah, and our whole system actually, I think, is in a way built to crush people's dreams. Isn't that sad to it's say? It's so sad. sad. But it is kind of true. Think about it. I mean, I what child or teenager is happy in school right now? I don't know any. And also, no. and all actors that I know, they always get the question, ah, okay, uh, that's fun. What do you really do? Because apparently you can't be an actor. <laughs> oh, I was like, thank you. Yeah, no, seriously. I when when I was acting, I I always got the same question. But when I moved to the states, nobody asked that. They're like, oh, cool, fun. What do you do? What do you work on right now? Uh-huh. Not, ah, oh, what do you really do? Yeah, um, crushing dreams. <laughs> oh, that sounds so. It's sad, like you're not. I think it's true. I if mean, you're acting, you're not taking life seriously. If you're in law school, then they're like, oh, good for you. Great. Or in finance, that's oh, acceptable. Great. That's acceptable. In and then, society. Yeah. Yes, and then you succeed it. You're doing something good. So we need to dream more. Yeah, and just imagine if school, you went to school and you got to explore, what are you passionate about? What do you absolutely love to do? And then you figured that out so that when you go out into the workplace, you know, this is what I love to do. This is, I mean, I, I work with a lot of people, um, helping them to find their bigger purpose as well. And if they can figure out what they love to do and what they're passionate about, guess what? Then they find a work environment where they can 
step into their best version of themselves and reach their full potential. That's engagement. Um, so it, it's all very much linked together. So if you if you own a company and you want to make sure that everybody's more engaged, where do you start? So that's an excellent question because I know you know Sweden has a lot of entrepreneurs and that's an opportunity to create an environment that you give people the potential to reach their full potential. And if you think of building the business that way, then you can infuse it into the culture of the company, especially as it grows, that you can do, you know, things that people are going to be, you know, really drawn towards or attracted to that make them passionate about helping you build your business. Because you want people that love your business, love your vision, love what you want to do. And that's going to reflect into, you know, the work that they do and, and the connection to the customers and all those types of things. So it's really important to, you know, as a, someone building a business to realize what can I do to create an environment that people are really going to love. So to make sure that they don't feel stuck. Yeah, I mean, that's like, and you know, the funny, the the analogy of, uh, you know, people in the work and workplace feel like they're imprisoned. And it's sad, because if they realize they're not reaching their full potential, they just, they can get through life. And then all of a sudden you wake up, you're 60, 70, and gosh, where did your life go? And live for the weekend. Yeah, why is so often well, in Sweden we say how are you? Well, it's Friday. Okay. Or, I didn't ask what day it was. I just yeah. asking how you were doing. <laughs> well, what's what I think is really sad is if you don't have a real life during if you don't have an integrated life, if you don't have a real life during the weekdays. How can you have a real life during the weekends? Well, one thing I've noticed working in Sweden now for so many years is that it's it's changing a bit, but it used to be so compartmentalized. So you you had your work and that was who you were there and you dressed a certain way and you interacted with your colleagues in a certain way and you went home and you were a different person and nowadays we need to be ourselves wherever we are and that's part of this whole thing is be yourself at work why do you have to be a different person or personality there's something that doesn't gel and that i think leads to people being unhappy so if you can be in an environment where you can just feel like i'm really comfortable here i can be myself i can be quirky or weird or whatever um you know i feel really comfortable so it's really looking at knowing yourself as an individual um helping your employees to know themselves as well and then basically creating an environment that's going to attract the right kind of people to help you build your business. Can you give an example of companies that succeeded? Um, yeah, I have a ton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about Google, um, especially like the earlier years. Yeah. I mean, now it's huge. So, but so in do our you book, have any other? Yeah. Yeah, in our book Engage, we featured 15 companies. Um They were companies like Southwest Airlines, Virgin, um, Tom, Zappos. Those are kind of typical ones you've yeah. heard of. We started to look at different industries, different um, ownership structures, different geographical areas as well. So HCL Technologies is an Indian-based IT provider. Um, so we have a lot of different companies there. And yeah, basically they all had this formula. And I can share with you in a second here this formula. Um, Before the book went to print, I realized we don't have any Swedish companies here. And I scrambled and I started meeting a ton of companies seeing, could I find these companies here? And um, we ran out of time. So I don't, I, we have 15 amazing companies that we have a lot of case studies and examples from in the book. And then we have 15 inspiring companies that I just started to get into, but not deep enough. But I'd say for a Swedish company, Good Ale is the one that comes to mind that really has this nailed. That's oh, and a, that's, we have an episode with Stefan Krog who founded Good Ale. Yeah, yeah, I love Stefan. He's yes. great. <laughs> um, huge inspiration. I, I actually just told him, you need to clone yourself. We need more business leaders like you. <laughs> um, and, and not every business is going to be structured that way. And that's okay. But it's the values that are underlying that make that difference. Well, I, I can tell you first-hand experience working with Stefan. I mean, even at the Kivra, he he 
eats, breathes and lives those values all the time. Yeah, and I think we need value-driven leaders that are going to yeah. make this well, difference. Well, he is one, definitely. Absolutely. He's a great example. Yeah. So if I am at work and I'm not loving it and my boss is not doing anything for anyone <laughs> to become engaged, what 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 should I do? Should I just quit, move on, try to find a more engaging place or where do I start? So for me it's funny because right now there's a lot of buzz around engagement and I've been in this space for a number of years now and it used to be um well when I when the book came out in Sweden nobody talked about it at all and so I had to spend like a year speaking about engagement so and know, educating people is. this is why it's important I can show the bottom line I can show you the figures how it makes a difference um and for me engagement is a two-way street so you see a lot about of engagement where it's companies feeling oh we've got to you know give all these perks especially like silicon valley it's like okay you're going to have your dry cleaning and you come in and you can have a glass of champagne i mean just they go overboard i think way too much and i think it's a two-way street. one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Street. For me, engagement is a two-way street. The company needs to create an environment and a culture that yes people love and they're going to thrive in but the individual has to take ownership for their own career their own engagement and for their own well-being. So if you don't love what you do, figure out what you can love to do. How can you contribute in the best way to the company to move things forward? And maybe you find it's not the right environment for me. Then yes, quit. But maybe it is the right environment or maybe you're just not tweaking it the right way so that you can make it the right environment for you. So I think there's a lot of ownership that needs to be taken from the individual and that's one of my key messages is you know our purpose is bringing joy to the workplace but it's everybody needs to have their own responsibility for how they feel and how they want to be and it goes deeper than a ping pong table yes absolutely i mean that those are surface things and yeah they can help um but it, it i come back again to purpose and values oh my god i don't remember now where i read this but i think it was hilarious nobody likes forced fun uh, <laughs> that's a good one fun for him this this could be simon senek i don't know uh, because I, i i listen and read everything that he does because i love him but yeah. um uh, when when you force people like okay so we're we're all going to have fun now so please have fun okay we're going to hang out and we're going to pretend to be friends now and let's have fun and instead of just creating an environment where people uh, take initiative yeah, yeah and be like oh let's hang out let's go bowling let's do something but if it is a, a company trip or something and it's forced fun nobody will have fun 
and everybody will just hate being there. Uh, even if it's well organized, everything is something about how we, as like, how do we create fun? And apparently, for, forcing people in a room and saying now it's a party, have fun, doesn't really work. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because that's kind of how we do it in Sweden or in a lot of countries. But uh, to create culture, let's go out drinking together, and now we have fun. And then our company's going to be way better on Monday. Does that work? Um, that's a really good point. So, so after the book came out, it's led to us certifying people in cultural engagement and teaching people how do you work with engagement? Because that was a big question afterwards. It was like, okay, I can't tell you that in an hour. But So we've created a very in-depth um, certification training for teaching people how to work with us strategically. And we go into the neuroscience and the science behind what happens in an interaction. So this force fun, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, but it's, it's terrible. We, we do, <laughs> we teach people behavioral-based engagement activities that will help to shift an organization and help to shift the culture so that people feel like, this is fun, I want to be a part of it, but it's not forced. It comes naturally and it comes from within the organization. And part of it is just talking to people, connecting on a deeper level to figure out what is it that... It makes you happy. But do you need to nudge people in the right direction or do you actually need to go down deep and sort of uh, uh, reprioritize your values? I mean, at what, what level? Can people change behaviors without changing values? Um, that's a really deep question, Dad. I know, but God. you started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you started it. Um, can people change behaviors without changing values? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, you can change behaviors without going into that deeper level. But I think when people start to connect to the values and say, yes, this is what I can believe in, um, then you really get people on board. Um, with the work we do with a lot of companies, we talk about the living, breathing values. Make it something that people feel. It's not just a plaque on the wall that people say, oh, yeah, oh, there's something there. It's stuff that they really feel that they can be a part of, that that's who they are. And that's when it starts to really happen. So it, it takes some work. It's it's what I call the inner work, both on an individual level, but also organizationally, that you do this inner work with the values, the purpose, the figuring out the passions, all those things. Once you've done that, then you can really create a foundation of building a, an incredible organization or incredible culture for a company to grow. Is there a thin line between this is our values and culture uh, and when that's super deep it's almost a cult? Uh, yeah, <laughs> oftentimes these can seem culty to people who are outside of it. And people start dressing the same and well that <laughs> happens because of neuro um, mirror neurons that we mm. have in our brain. So that happens subconsciously. Which All is right. fascinating. Yeah, there's a lot of research behind this that we go deep in in our training and stuff. But yeah, so people will naturally start to dress kind of the same way over time because you want to belong, right? Not, well, it's part of that, but it's it's this mirror neurons that we copy what we see. So you know, lead by example is very true. That's how you make a difference. You know, you've you've seen that. Um, oh, what did they say? Don't don't do do what I do not what I say or something like that, right? Yeah. And, and it doesn't work. It's not authentic. So when you learn all the neuroscience behind this, because I can geek out on that a lot, um, <laughs> it's pretty fascinating to realize how much of an impact you have and how you can really reach, build that level of trust by focusing on how you interact with people. So there's a whole lot. I mean, there's so much research behind that. And that to me is a part of engagement. So the way I look at it is engagement is this huge, broad topic. And there's like lots of sub topics that make up engagement. So it's like purpose and values and diversity and inclusion and all sorts of different topics. And, um, you know, we have a research board that we try and are connecting to like the, the best thought leaders out there so that we can get their latest research and stay on top of it as well. And basically that is, um, that's how you can work with it strategically. 
when you have that deep understanding of how it works, then gosh, then there's nothing stopping people from doing amazing you, things. But if you wanna, if you listen to this now and and, and think this is this sounds interesting, but you want to start somewhere uh, and start light, what do you what do you do? As a leader or a boss, start with yourself, obviously. <laughs> so obviously, lead by example, but also, you know, think how can I bring my best version of myself to the company? And because people are going to copy what you're doing, and that's how you, as a leader, can inspire others to say, "Hey, okay, what can I do?" Um, asking questions. I'll, I'll give one example of a what I call an engaging question. Is basically, um, you know, asking. And I love to use this question with my kids because it's like that's how I find out things I didn't even know. But what would you like to be acknowledged for? What would you like to be acknowledged for? And people, Swedes often will squirm with this because they're not used to talking about themselves. But actually, it's a really interesting question. And what happens in an employee and and supervisor type of a relationship is the supervisor, let's say, asks the employee. All of a sudden, that employee is going to say, oh, well, I worked on this and I spent this. And the supervisor might not know that they had spent so much time doing that. So all of a sudden, you're able to give acknowledgement and recognition for the task that was important to that particular person, which makes you a better manager because you're realizing... Oh, okay. That that's what they want to be acknowledged for instead of oh, you did a good job on that report, which maybe they don't even care about, right? So th- there's little tricks like that that you can do. I, I, I just love that. That's a fantastic question. But also, not only there, I'm, I'm thinking that most people they always start with themselves. So if I ask you a question, I start with myself. You know, good report because I thought it was good. We needed it. You're turning that around, so I need to go and ask you what's going on in your head. More people should be doing that. Yeah, because then you connect and then you realize what's important to that person. Mm. um, And it makes you basically be able to bring out the best of them. Mm. Is there any other great questions that one should ask their employees? Like that one, because I love that. that, I love that question. It was great. Is there any other that you have? Yeah, well, let's go back to gratitude. Um, You know, what are you grateful for today? I love that question. That shifts people and start to think. And and the thing is, with the neuroscience behind this, is if you, and positive psychology too, if you focus on what's going well, guess what? You're going to have more of that. Um, I'll give an example here. We had some Germans taking our um, certification training. I'm not going to pick on Germans, but... Um, oh, let's, let's pick but, on the Germans. Yeah, okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Ted knows I'm half German, so... <laughs> okay, great. Okay, Rania, I lovely. always pick on the Germans when I can. <laughs> well, in their culture, in their society, they only discuss really what's wrong, what's negative. Oh, it's a weird culture, I agree. And... <laughs> I can tell you stories about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so as, as these people are going through our training, they started to realize, well, why do we focus in on that? So 95% of things can be going well, but they'll spend 100% or 95% on the 5% that's going bad. What's wrong with that? Instead of focusing in. And they realized if they just shifted, wow, who cares about that 5%? That's only 5%. Let's focus on the 95% that's going really well and celebrate that. So, um, yeah, I think it is something, I grew up with that, that, you, yeah, I mean, that, the German culture is more of, well, if it works, it works, then you don't really have to care about it. And exactly. you need to don't fix what it. doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. No. So if it doesn't work, you need to fix whatever that percentage is. Uh, but they won't really give you credit for what's going well. So what if we switched that and said, why don't we celebrate the 95% that's going well? Oh my gosh, do you think the workplace would be really happy? Like 95% of the time? Yeah. So celebration is one of the, the major keys. I'll, I'll, let me just share that now with you in terms of the, how do you create an amazing culture. So there's five cultural keys that we found looking at these 15 companies and that we discuss and engage. And the first one is, um, is collaboration. That's taking... T- 
teamwork up to the next level where basically people can uh, work together and know that they're working for the greater good of everybody. A lot of times it's the cult, you know, family type of environment. You get really deep emotional connections there. Second one is creativity, and that's allowing the ideas and innovation to come from within the organization. Third one is connection. And there we're talking about the purpose and the values and that deeper emotional connection, both internally to the employees and externally to the customers and to the market. Fourth one is celebration, and that's looking at what's going well and celebrating that. Gratitude is there, recognition is there. And then the last one is contribution, and that's some level of giving back, making a positive impact. And that actually gives meaning to the employees to make them feel like they're proud to be a part of that organization. And when you get all five of those cultural keys working really well, that's when you create an amazing company, an amazing environment that people just will be drawn to be. I want to be a part of that. So that's the little... I heard, a, I heard a friend say that, you know, she hates when other people bakes all the time because now she has to bake and she doesn't have time uh, about comp- contribution at work. Um, and she said, who started this stupid trend? Like now I have to bake something like once every three weeks and I don't have time. Like I have kids, I have a husband, like I don't have time to bake stuff. And now it's almost like a competition of who bakes the nicest cinnamon rolls. Um, and But I said, maybe people just wanted to do something nice. And she's like, I don't know. I, th- I feel like it's a competition. <laughs> but said, well, maybe you can choose to to not see it as a competition, but just something nice. Um, but that's a mindset thing then, right? It, it is a bit of a mindset. And I mean, it's focus on your strengths. If she's not a good baker, why should she be baking? Let the other people bake. She can contribute with other things that are, are her strengths, and then she won't get frustrated. Um, but I do see a definite mindset shift in the business world right now. We're going from this competitive mindset to collaborative mindset. So competition is the old way of doing business. Collaboration is a new way where you, you, if you can create a unique experience that nobody else can offer, then you don't have to worry about competition. People are going to come back to you and you're going to serve the right people and the right audience or customers that you need to reach. Um, so I just, there's a lot of change going on. And I think part of it is, you know, due to a lot of the technology and a lot of the different trends that are affecting us globally, a lot of with demographics, we've got the millenniums coming into the workplace. Um, so there's a lot of different elements going on that's changing the way we do business. And the people that can lift themselves out of the day-to-day overwhelm and look at kind of these bigger trends and understand it, they're the ones that are going to be able to survive and going, you know, they're taking their business into the future. And you started a network called COIN. Yeah, yes. that was an experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about that? So um, I kept meeting all these really fantastic business women who just felt, I'm the only one that thinks this way in my company. And I'm like, no, there's a bunch of us. So I had been for many, many years actually hosting every quarter a small group of women. We were do- or have been a dozen women. Um, different people that were just kind of cool, different industries, different levels, things like that. And I said, look, we, we all know amazing women. Let's invite five each and see what happens. This was three years ago. So it's a circle of influence network. It's high level executive women. Um, they all have a circle of influence over a thousand people on some level. And it's a combination of MDs and um, executive positions in big companies like HR communications, marketing. Um, we have board members, we have filmmakers, we have authors, entrepreneurs, all sorts of different. But it, the we all have the same values. We want to use our influence as a force of good, use business as a force of good. But why only women? Um, because I see the need for it, that uh, men help each other a lot, pretty easily. I think men are really good at networking and, and women are not as strong as networking. So I just see it as a need that women need to learn to connect and, and help each other out and lift each other up. 
it seems to me that uh, women uh, connect and network in a different way that men does as well. So I think that you're doing this and sort of lifting the positive framework and uh, doing that. Men keep on networking the same way we did like 20 years ago, 50 years ago. I and don't play see golf. I don't, I don't see, yeah, I don't see the real difference. Whereas I see a lot of progress in those kind of networks where people like yourself are bringing together other like-minded people, in this case women, in order to sort of let's help each other in a different way. I don't, I don't see men doing that. Yeah, I, I I mean, I would probably agree with you. I mean, I'm not involved in a lot of men networks. So I don't know. <laughs> Why is that? Um, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, there's just a need. And I think mm-hmm. women need to be connected to each other and have that yeah. deep emotional connection where we can make a difference. Should we be better at helping each other out than we are? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Just you say yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right answer. Why? Why does it sometimes, for me, being a man coming from the outside, why do I sometimes perceive, might not be true, that women at high levels or coming forward in companies actually don't always help each other? They actually work against each other. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that too. Yeah, so and I think, really I think it's a fear-based thing that yeah. they've had to work and fight their way up to the top so hard that anybody else needs to do that too. And I think it's based on experience. I find, and maybe I'll just make a generalization here, but that tends to be a little bit older women. Um, I find the younger women don't have that mentality in general. I mean, you, you always find, you yeah. know, I just find it very surprising that, when I see it. Because I, I'm we surprised see by it too. It is. And I, I got to ask you this question. So you just said that in, for instance, this network, you have like-minded women with the same values and you find each other. What part of your teachings about Engage and what you're doing and your lessons learned is the most difficult for people to actually use and, and take with them? I mean, why do they feel, I mean, are there any parts that people filter out? Because on the surface level, and if I can call this surface just like a discussion, it sounds terrific, it sounds great, but do people actually do it? I mean, the people who don't do it, are they different somehow? I think there are people out there in denial that don't want to take ownership for their life. They are, and I'll just say this is in the Swedish context. Um, in Sweden, we um, tend to have our parents take care of us, and then we tend to have our schools take care of us, and then we tend to have our companies take care of us, and the government take care of us. So why should we take care of ourselves? And that is coming back to the lack of purpose, and that is coming back to, I think, why engagement is pretty low in Sweden, is because you expect it from the outside. People don't do the inner work so much. So I think doing the inner work is probably... Um, some of the hardest work you can do, but when you do that, then you're really grounded in yourself. You're confident. You feel like, you know, you can accomplish anything. And I think people, a lot of people might be afraid to do that. And also, don't uncomfortable. Yeah. And also don't we have a mindset that a job is a job and then you have your life. Exactly. Your job is not integrated in your life. And, and to me, you know, we spend the bulk of our waking hours at work. Why don't you love what you do? It's not just to go check in and then go have your life. I mean, I don't know that if it's the German part of <laughs> my upbringing, but I wasn't taught to love what I do. Well, imagine I was just, if everybody was. Yeah. I, but, but that's the problem. So I totally agree with you. And I totally agree that that would be a total change. But people don't. And my question is, those are the people we need to reach. Because the people who are older have a positive mindset or semi-positive mindset, they will resonate with your message here. But what about the other people? How will we get them involved? So here's what we do. We get the people that are engaged and that are happy and understand all this stuff and the people that are on the borderline of, yeah, maybe I could get that. Mm-hmm. Those people lead by example because guess what the others that are maybe really dragged down really stuck in fear or whatever they're going to see that and say wow okay it will eventually rub over to them they'll see it with the mirror neurons and all that kind of stuff by you know if everyone else is leading by example it'll it'll shift it'll start to happen 
Yeah, and we can also tell them that no, you don't have to do yoga every morning at 5 a.m. No, you no. don't have to drink green smoothies all the time. <laughs> like, you don't, it's only about a, a, a mindset and being maybe nicer to people. I, I, I think it's very interesting when, uh, well, the other day I had, I was just, I woke up super happy and I, I didn't know why. Uh, that then, was scary, actually. You were so happy and everything went wrong that day. You were still happy. But no, I was, I was just excited about life and everything was just great. I found a runaway child at the airport and well, like, the same found, child found three times. The, well, twice yeah twice. incredible and people were yelling at each other and had like drunk British men like they were bruised and trying to talk I was just I didn't care like I was just very very happy but because I was happy and just like I think I had some sort of like happiness glow going on people were nice to me mm. and so my life was just way easier that day than in if I would have been in a really grumpy mood and just letting all negative like shit happening around me affect me and when you understand that that's that's a that's the beginning of it all i think so that is where you step into your own power that is really the secret to success is when you understand that your thoughts and emotions have an impact on other people and you can decide to be happy or joyful or you can decide to be sad we feel like we have all these emotions and we experience emotions but that's not who we are so we say i'm mad i'm sad well no you are feeling mad you are feeling sad that's not who you truly are so when you find and figure that little secret out all of a sudden the power is back inside of you you're not reacting to things you're responding to things you're making a conscious choice to say hey i want to be happy today hey i'm gonna someone's cut me off okay you have a choice you flip them off and get pissed off and cuss them out or you can just maybe have a little bit of compassion and empathy and say hey maybe you know he's got a child in the hospital and he's rushing to get there who knows let them go, right? It's not that that brings the health and well being and vibrancy back to your life. And if everyone starts to understand the power lies within ourselves because of that, that's where we start to shift the world. And I think people are waking up to this more and more. That's what we're starting to see. People are feeling drawn to, you know, we have one planet, we have all these problems. What can we do to fix it? We have to come together as a humanity, as a whole, to figure out these things and solve these problems together. It's not going to happen by fighting and wars and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, the shift that I'm starting to see and feel is that we're waking up to this and that we have a, I don't know if you want to call it a higher level of consciousness, but understanding that we're connected. Um, we have uh, someone on our research board is Richard Barrett, and he runs the Barrett Value Center. So he's all about values. But he talks about the comb. If you imagine a comb and you cover, just look at the, the, the what's it called? The little spokes of the comb or whatever yeah. it's called, right? You're all, everything is separated, right? But if you look at and take away, and so you can see how the comb is actually connected, it's all connected. We're all connected, but we're all individual, different, you know beans or whatever. So when we're starting to realize that we're all connected on some level and science is catching up to this to prove that yes, we are connected on some energetic level, then all of a sudden you realize, gosh, okay, so how can I have a positive impact? One of the things that I teach is um, I do a leadership training on trust and it's very deep into the neuroscience and connecting the brain and the heart. And the heart is actually the first organ in our body that starts to beat and it's the most powerful organ in our body. Most people are disconnected from the heart and the brain, so they think the brain leads. And they've shown scientifically the the how you can have heart coherence. And when you are stressed, your your heart rate is very jagged and you you don't feel good and you're stressed and, and obviously, you know, you're overwhelmed and that's where all the negative emotions come and it affects how you sleep, it affects how you feel and it affects your health and well-being. 
But if you can get into heart coherence where you're actually feeling compassion, love, joy, all of those positive emotions, then you feel better, you sleep better, you're high performing, you have high levels of trust. And it's all connected. All of these things are connected. And we're starting to teach that into the business world. And when an individual or leader can realize how much of an impact they have just by the conversations that they're having, it can be life-changing. So to answer the question about someone who's really negative, when they start to see the negative impact they have on others, that's when they'll change because they realize, gosh, I didn't know I was doing that to other people. Oh, they wouldn't even realize. No. Hmm. But when they see it, all of a sudden they realize, okay, what can I do to take ownership for this and change the way that I'm interacting with people? I mean, we now new research also shows that our gut bacteria is connected with our brain. Yes. So if I, we don't have gut health, mm-hmm. uh, we feel depressed. Yep. So that's also super interesting. And so we can feel depressed because we eat shit <laughs> um, and vice versa. Really bad thoughts or can, can affect your, your gut. So you're unhealthy, you can get sick and uh, get cold or whatever, the flu way easier. So everything is connected. I think that's really interesting. So we're connected on a physical level, each of our you know bodies and we're connecting and the science is catching up to connect, like you said, the gut and all that. And but before this then, was hippie talk and now it's science, exactly. which is really interesting. And, and I think that's why I think it's so powerful because we do have the science catching up to all these things that were maybe woo-woo or hippie or whatever you want to call it. But now, no, it's backed by science and this isn't bullshit anymore. It's true. So what can you do about it? And take ownership for it. <laughs> right. Do you have any final words to anyone who's listening and, and, you know, and thinking, how should I, what should I do to change my life for the better? Um, you know, I just come back to focus in on what what is it that you love to do? What are your passions? And focus in on being the best version of yourself. Reach your own full potential because no matter who you are, if you're in the corporate world, if you're an entrepreneur, if you do that, you will influence other people in a very positive way by doing something like that. So I think that is really, you know, maybe the key lesson is just focus on yourself and be the best version of yourself in all ways possible and, and it will have a positive impact in your life in ways that maybe you don't even possibly imagine right now experiment with it test it out (laughs) thank you so much for coming today that's great thank you very much for being here this is so fun (laughs) you're welcome anytime loved it okay (laughs) well have a great day and we'll talk to you soon thank you okay bye Bye. tack för att du har lyssnat på investpodden med Ronja och Ted glöm inte att följa våra sociala medier instagram facebook och twitter och vi vill såklart höra ifrån dig så hör av dig till ronja@investpodden.se ha det bra vi hörs hej even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.